Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherville Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. With me again today in the studio, our regular guest, Brian Call. Brian's a 38-year veteran in the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. Great to be back with you. Good to see you again, Brian. And Bill Sherrill, a guy who's been driving a long time and always brings a lot of great questions to the table. Hello, Bill. Hello, Rob. Glad to be in the car today. Hey, it's great to have you both back in the studio with me today. Today, we're talking about driving smart and safe in our Wisconsin winter, or should I call it Wisconsin winter wonderland. Whether we like it or not, winter and its challenging road conditions come around every year. Sometimes late, but typically they always get here. So this is the second season? Normally, it's road construction, and now we're into the other season? Yeah, now we're into the other season. There's, what, five seasons in Wisconsin? Is that what we say? I thought there was only two. Oh, just two. Road construction and winter. (laughs) Yeah, we know it too well. Driving safely in winter weather can be a challenge for even the most experienced driver. It's easy to forget after months of mild conditions that snow and ice demand careful driving and special preparation for your vehicle and with your vehicle. So when 17% of all vehicle crashes occur during winter condition, it's clear that we could all use a refresher when it comes to making our way through our winter wonderland. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or we we know it as NHTSA, there are over 156,000 crashes annually due to icy roads, including nearly 117,000 injuries in these crashes. About 76,000 of these injuries occurred during a snowfall. This is really good information to be aware of winter driving. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of scary, but, you know, these are the facts, and that's what's out there. And I thought, well, we got to take it seriously. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And you figure half the country isn't involved in this. Absolutely. We're kind of on our own up here in the, in the Midwest, So, along with the other states that are at the top of the, the lower 48. So the obvious question is, what makes winter driving so different? Why is it so different? I think it's a change in the environment that we just forget because you just get in your car and you go and you get very used to having dry roads without any other conditions to worry about other than maybe rain and construction. (laughs) It's slippery. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty simple, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I know that when we get that first icy conditions or freezing rain or snow, the first little storm that we get, we really got to think differently. And I find myself thinking the same way. I think, okay, I can't just take a right and accelerate on the highway. I've got to play it carefully and I kind of got to get to know my car all over again. So some of the conditions that we may encounter during the winter months, what are some of those things that we got to watch out for? Freezing rain. Now it's not just raining, but it'll also be freezing on the ice. And you know, like the classic when your whole windshield freezes up with a sheet of ice, really pleasant. You get the black ice along with that, that you never see it, and all of a sudden you're going the other direction. What do they yep. call it, black ice? I have no idea. Is it because you can't really see it? It just looks like yeah. the regular pavement? Is that? That's my take from way back That's when. That's my take. That, yeah. Okay. I mean, it also, just whiteouts. I mean, there's times when it doesn't happen all that often in the winter, but it can be snowing so profusely that like you just can't see anything. It's like a driving rainstorm. You get the wind coming up with that and just blowing it. Can't see two feet in front of you. Drifts are another good question. You know, like you go through and all of a sudden there's drifts across the road. Yeah, that's a problem because that can really make handling with your car very difficult. The conditions that we're talking about here, oftentimes the weatherman will say, just stay home. Don't go anywhere. 
I'm kind of too proud in that way. I don't like to let it stop me, but many times I probably should have. And I think this winter we have enough staying home. Well, I'll say winter 2021 will be not a time to stay home since I think we've had enough staying home lately with COVID. So I think you're right. I think people are just done with staying at home. So we got to be careful. We've really got to uh, evaluate every change in the seasons that we have here in Wisconsin for sure. So big question out there. How many of us remember what we learned way back in the day during driver's ed about driving? Did we learn about that, about winter driving? I kind of remember that, yeah, but you forget. And I think experience is almost, unfortunately, the best teacher. But let's go through some of those things of precaution for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think I remember a lot of textbook during my days back then, but maybe not a lot of hands-on. I might have gotten that from my parents, maybe. So I know for sure we got to shift into the winter driving mode when it comes around. There's no doubt about it. So what are some of the things that we have to change in our daily driving habits or our mindset? Take the extra time to get there because you know if your commute to work is a half hour, it might take you 40 minutes in winter just because people are moving slower, starting, stopping, slipping. All of that takes place and it takes up time. Making sure the windshields, the side windows, the rearview mirrors are all scraped. Yes. How many times do you drive down the road and you see somebody looking through a little hole in the <laughs> front windshield? Yes. That is a big pet peeve of mine. And also brushing off your car just as it snows after. I mean, that's something I've always gotten the habit of, of just brushing off your entire car. Because if you leave the hood, it just is going to blow onto the windshield. And if it's on the roof, it's going to blow on your back windshield. And your visibility is going to be reduced. I think that's fun. I always enjoy watching it slowly <laughs> clear off as I'm going down the highway. Oh, I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and then you got your windshield heated up so it freezes on the windshield yeah, and it compounds yeah. everything. Yeah. So. Uh, I think Bill's idea is a good one. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, you mentioned uh, allowing extra time. So that really means that we probably should leave earlier to reach our destination on time. We all need to clock in or get to work at a certain time or get to a meeting at a certain time. So we have to leave earlier. That would mean we have to get up sooner on snow day. Hopefully (laughs) not, but possibly. Oh, man. There's nothing else to listen to the radio to see if school is canceled, which can definitely change your day. Oh, I remember those days for sure. And the one thing that's a pet peeve of mine is, let me quiz you here, where are the two slipperiest spots on the road? Ooh. That's a good question. That is a good question. I'm going to guess. Well, I always think of the gravel edge being a place that is not slippery because you can get into the gray. If you get one wheel over into the gravel, you have traction. Yep, that helps. So beyond that, I don't know. Overpasses. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Ramps. And the other one that nobody thinks about is the intersections at the stop signs. Uh, Oh, sure. How many people have to spin the wheel slightly to take off, and it's always icy there. Plus the heat from the bottom of the car is there longer. Of all the cars that are coming and going, I could see that and kind of melt. How many people actually start braking significantly sooner when coming up to an intersection like that? Interesting. Great. We're creating our own slipperiness. Absolutely. <laughs> Just driving, we're creating it. But yeah. I know I'm one of those guys that I really analyze. Let's say a highway, you've got two lanes to choose from, and the right lane is where the majority of the people are driving. And I can tell that where the tire tracks are, it looks like black ice or kind of icy or slippery because everybody is there. 
I'm one of those guys that may head over to the other lane where there are less tracks and might be fluffy snow. I think, in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, it might be better traction. Depends on how slippery the snow is, how deep it is. There are times that that's true. It is better in the left lane. The other thing, too, another change that we need to make when we're heading into some adverse conditions, if you will, are the increased distance between you and the car in front of you or maybe around you. 100%. That takes me a while to adjust to that idea. Yes. I think we all go through that experience on that first day when all of a sudden there's the car at the stop sign and you go to stop and you're not stopping and there's the fear of God coming in and you're like, oh my God, I know it's slippery. Why am I not stopping? And I should have stopped earlier. Yeah. Pump the brakes ahead of time. See how slippery it is underneath. And I don't know, should we have to be reminded to wear our seat belts? We should always be buckling up. 100%. Yes. Yeah. That shouldn't be a part of our winter driving piece, but make sure that you buckle up. And just a side note on that, if you're driving with your family and young children, make sure they are in the proper seats as well. 100%. And it's easy with all of these changes and your exceeded attention to driving, it's easy to get fatigued. The last thing you want to do is drive with fatigue. Oh, you're exhausted on that 30-minute drive to work. Yeah. Absolutely. And let's say if you also are dealing with limited visibility, that can really take a lot out of you. So is there any place that I could go to get like a refresher on all this? I mean, you talked about driver's ed, and I haven't gotten there years, obviously. A refresher on all of these topics that we've talked about. As a matter of fact, there is. There are some courses across the country, but closer to home right here in Wisconsin. Have you ever heard of Road America? No, I have not. They're down in Plymouth, Wisconsin. And Brian, is that the Milwaukee area? Uh, It'd be North Milwaukee. It's at the bottom of Lake Winnebago down by Fond du Lac. So it's a little bit east of Fond du Lac. Well, they actually offer a winter driving course. I believe it's just a day... Yeah, the classes run from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Road America, and that is a race course, right? Yeah, it's an international race course. Okay. The information I received from it is like $160 per person. Sounds like that would be money well spent to get a refresher. If you didn't get that back in driver's ed or if you have a young driver in your family, great place or idea to look into. I was not aware they did that. Definitely have to check that one out. Absolutely. I'm wondering if your insurance company would give you a break for taking a refresher course or education on winter driving. I think that's well worth a call to an agent to ask that because a lot of policies do a lot of prevention and give credits for driver, you know, like not having tickets for X number of years. So that makes sense to me. Might be a good way to get out of a ticket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Being able to drive better on these adverse conditions. Yeah. That's a great idea, an easy question to ask for sure. Another good question that came in from one of our listeners is, what do I do when approaching a snowplow? So I think we've all been there. We've all had to deal with that. You're coming down the interstate or the highway. Again, you're dealing with some possible whiteout conditions, slippery conditions. All your mind is going all over the place trying to figure out how to be safe in upcoming a snowplow. And I have a place to get to and I'm late. (laughs) Absolutely. All these things are playing into this scenario and the snowplow's up there. I can always tell that a lot of people don't know what to do or how to deal with a snowplow. Some people don't think that you can pass a snowplow. Some people dangerous when they do that. What are some of the uh, rules or the laws behind a Department of Transportation snowplow? 
Isn't there a distance that you have to be back from a snowplow? I just I don't know what it is exactly, but I think you can't be right up close to one. Well, I can still see the sign on the back of the snowplow. Oh, I go. remember that. I think it's 200 <laughs> feet. That sounds right. 200 feet seem right? Okay. Bill, do you know, is it legal to pass a snowplow? Are we supposed to pass it or just line up behind it and follow it at 40 miles an hour? I would say, yes, it's got to be legal. I do it every once in a while, so I assume but no one has stopped me. But I'm going to guess, yes, it is legal because, to your point, like if it wasn't legal, we would have backups and traffic jams for miles. And again, I come back with when we encounter that situation, you can tell that a lot of people aren't aware of how to really react to it. Some people will do it and some people won't. I know that you've got to be very careful because they have what's called a wing blade that sticks out further if they have it down quite a bit further than the truck itself. And then sometimes that's 10 feet beyond the width of the truck. So we've got to be very careful. Sometimes that wing blade then is surrounded by swirling snow, so you can't really see it. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if there's lights on the end of that wing blade either. Yeah, many of them do have lights on them. Do they? But you may not be able to see it with the amount of snow going up over. We do have a link that you can refer to under the Wisconsin DOT that we have in allaboutthecarpodcast.com or on our website. So make sure you check that out and get all the details on what to do when approaching a snowplow. Either way, it's a cautious environment that you should just be aware of what you're doing. It can be super dangerous depending on the amount of snow, how heavy the snow is. It'll definitely slide you around on the road. With two hands on the wheel, right? 100%. Yes, we definitely want to keep track of what we're doing and two hands on the wheel and don't even have that phone next to you, quite frankly. So, the scenario happens. Oh no, you start to slip and slide. What do I do when that happens? You can feel yourself break loose a little bit. How do we deal with that? How do we handle it? Don't panic. Okay. Slowly release the accelerator. Don't slam on the brakes. Don't try to... Make avoidance moves. Make sure that car stays in control. So the uh, knee-jerk reaction would be to hit the brakes, I would think. Let off the gas really fast and hit the brakes. That can put you into a spin really quickly. If you're already into a slide, most vehicles you want to turn into it so that the vehicle doesn't come around and the back end going down the road first, which is never a good thing. So that's what you call kind of a counter steer? Is that... Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Okay. If I'm going to the left, I want to steer to the right. If your vehicle is sliding to the left yep. from the rear, you want to turn to the left. You turn into the skid the way it's going. That'll help you maintain control. If you turn to the right, the car will turn right around on you. Um, that's interesting. I haven't really ever heard it that way. I think something like that or that talent would come from... Hands-on experience. It's the only place you can get it. It's How the do you field. get that? Road America. Road exactly. America. <laughs> yes. Controlled situation. Yeah. Go to a parking lot. A parking lot and actually make the car slide as long as it's a big parking lot and it's safe to do. Right. Do you think that's acceptable to be able to go to a parking lot, a wide open, empty parking lot? Would anybody give you trouble? Yes. I, yes. <laughs> so you got to be careful and choose it correctly. So with all that being said... Another question that had come through is, what can I do to prepare for a safe and successful winter driving season? What are some things that we can do to mentally, mechanically, physically be prepared for what's coming? I am a huge fan of having the kit with extra clothes 
and verifying, you know, like basically what's in your trunk, extra pair of boots, maybe a hat, whatever that might be, just to stay warm. Because if you go in the ditch, I don't think most people like to be really cold for a long period of time. So that always is my first thing. Like if the worst is going to happen, I want to be prepared for my own physical safety so I can survive overnight or for long hours. I mean, there's times and we hear the stories and terrible snowstorms, thank God, that doesn't happen too often in, in Wisconsin. But that's what I always think of first is having a bag full of extra clothing to stay warm. So that would really be an emergency kit, kind of a winter emergency kit. And I would assume that there's a kit for for summer as well. Maybe that kit is mostly the same, but you might have to update it in the fall for winter. We've talked about that before in our podcast, and we do actually have a link out there for the emergency kit that will tell you and give you some suggestions as to what to put in that kit. That also from the NHTSA. So check it out at allaboutthecarpodcast.com. That way you can make your list, checking it twice, and get it in your trunk. The other thing I also think is like verifying tires. Obviously, being in the tire business, this is the season to be prepared for and whether the tire tread that you have is going to make it through the season or not. And how do you do that again? Stop by your tire professional and have them take a look at it. Have them use the right tool for checking your tread depth for sure. And along with that would go, I would think, kind of a checkup, overall checkup for your car. A good place to start for that preseason checkup would be to have your oil changed and tires rotated where they can give your car a good checkup and look out for things such as the wiper blades, which are really important in the winter. Important year-round, but... Your heater. The heater. Your defrost. Oh, we can go on <laughs> and on really and on. Big Absolutely. in my mind. Like, going back to looking through that little tiny yeah. hole in your windshield. <laughs> yeah, make sure that your heater and defrost are blowing in the right directions at the right spots in the windows for sure. I'm making sure that your car does get warm enough on the inside. Checking your belts and hoses, things like that. So... Make sure that you do give your car or your ride a good checkup, for sure. Speaking of that, how does a defrost work? Like, why does that blowing air, I always think of like, is it cold air, hot air? I mean, like, how does that work? There's actually two separate pieces to your question. The defrost mode, the air conditioner is actually operating. So to have your air conditioner working is ultra important in the winter. So what that's doing is it's dehumidifying the air. Then it goes over the heater to warm up the air to blow it up on the windshield. So you're pulling humidity that's inside my car that's making the moisture? No, you're pulling air from outside the car in the defrost mode. So there is humidity in it, and it's removing that before it heats the air up. So you don't get warm, damp air hitting the windshield, where it's an increased possibility of freezing. Inside? Inside, depending on how cold it is outside. Okay, so it's pushing warm, dry air inside. Correct. To get rid of the moisture that's actually fogging up. Fogging up. Okay, got it. Thank you for that. So the defrost mode is using your air conditioner, just to recap here, which is helping to remove the moisture from the inside of your car that will help to get rid of that. It's removing the moisture from the air that is getting blown up onto the windshield. So it's not actually removing the moisture that's in the car per se. It's removing the moisture from the air that's getting blown, blown. onto the windshield. Oh, gotcha. But eventually okay. it's replacing the air in the car. Yep, eventually. <laughs> Over enough time. Two, three, four people in the car, it's oh, yeah. not going to remove that much humidity. Well, they, they, you should just ask them to stop breathing. That would so. probably be a bad thing long term. <laughs> 
Another good thing, too, before you head out into that wild white wonder is to know your car before you go. Now, all the cars that I've had over the years, and I'm sure many of you have as well, each one handles differently. We have different setups in regards to rear-wheel drive, front-wheel drive. There's a lot of technology involved in today's car. But to know how your car will handle in that winter challenge, if you will, is really important too. So coming back to what Brian had mentioned about a parking lot, that gives you an idea of what you could expect as you're driving in the snow and the ice. So that is also a good thought just to know your car well. Kind of tough if you've just recently purchased a car and you didn't buy it or test drive it in the winter. Kind of tough to know how it's going to handle, but strongly advise that you get used to it before this happens. And your owner's manual. We're big believers in the owner's manual. We are. Where do you find that owner's manual? In the package, it's never been opened in your glove box. <laughs> or just online. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can find it online, but hopefully your car does have one in the glove box. And like Brian said, many people don't even know it's there, and some haven't even opened the package yet. But the owner's manual can actually kind of give you some ideas as to what safety features your car has and why is that important for winter driving. What kind of safety features might your car have that would affect the way that you drive in the winter. Would all-wheel drive fall under that category, Rob? All-wheel drive would. That's a good Four-wheel drive. Four-wheel drive. Analog brakes. Oh, yeah. It does the pumping of the brakes for me. Kind of does the work for you. And if you don't know you have that, and all of a sudden it acts up and it starts pumping, what is going on? It's really loud, and it's pounding back at you on your foot. And I highly suggest, in a safe area, Make your car go into an anti-lock situation so you know what it feels like when you do get into an emergency situation. So you don't panic when you hear that. Don't panic when you hear it and feel it. And how does that play in with a car that has electronic stability control? Is that related to the analog brakes? I I know this is real technical stuff. Yeah, you're starting to get pretty deep deep here. The car has the ability to reduce power to the engine or to send it to different wheels if it detects a wheel spinning. So it's actually controlling your throttle to a point. Okay, well, that would be good to know if your car has that or not, because I think it would affect the way that you respond to the different conditions. Yeah, it's a totally different feeling. I'm pushing the gas, and it's going slower. Something that's come around more lately in the later model cars is lane deviation. So warning, I think, systems. That gets really technical with the snowy conditions, the adverse conditions. The lane deviation system relies a lot on the lines on the highway, and it's not going to be able to see them. So it's not going to know where the car is at that point. So that doesn't kick in too much when it's really snowy and adverse conditions. Makes sense. I was kind of thinking, too, that you may have ice buildup on these sensors. Oh, absolutely. That'll happen. Cars have a lot of sensors and backup cameras. You could have ice on that, too. We've talked about that in previous podcasts as well. And, of course, you always want to prepare mentally before you head out into that wild wonder that we call Wisconsin winter. So make sure that you mentally are aware or prepared for this. And, again, you've got your kit, you've got your gloves, two hands on the wheel, no distractions, no drinking before driving ever, and set that phone down off to the side and don't worry about that. That's probably the number one thing. Mentally be prepared for it. Accept the fact that you're probably going to be late unless you take off early enough so that you don't try to push it, take your time coming up to intersections, meeting other cars, just slow down. 
And now that we're all ready to hit the trail or hit the road during the winter driving, we always steer a little bit off to the left side and we hit the road for a road trip, Wisconsin. Where are we going today? We're going to Powers Bluff in Wood County, Wisconsin, pretty much right in the center of the state. Hey, this is where you can go and speed up. <laughs> yeah, down the hill. Absolutely. Right? So what is Powers Bluff? They've got a couple of different winter sports activities there. It's got an awesome tubing hill, got two lanes with a tow rope to bring you back up. It's got a small downhill skiing hill with a tow rope. Oh, I think there's three downhill trails for skiing. Yeah, you're right. They go down through the woods. There's two trails that go through the woods, and then there's a wide open space. Most of it I would consider a bunny hill, but probably 100 yards of it, if you want to go all the way up to the top, you'll get a bigger slope. Been out there dozens of times with the family and other outings. Well, it sounds like there's something that I'm looking forward to do this winter is tubing, because I did that as a kid, but I've not gone as an adult. It is. It's awesome. It brings out the little kid. I was going to say, this sounds like a good exploration for a weekend. So I'd have to go and find a tube somewhere? Nope. They got the tubes right there. Really? See, what's the cost on something like this? $10 a person per session, but then you get an all-day pass for 15 That's for tubing. And then the pass will get you onto the cross-country ski trail as well as the downhills. But you should bring crock pots or some portable grills. There's a warming house there. Great place to set up and have a great lunch after tubing. Sounds like a full day to me, for sure. I know they do brag about it being 1,472 feet of elevation. So that sounds like a lot of good downhill to me. And with every good downhill has to come a lift, right? So they got a way to bring you back up to the top. Tow ropes to bring you back up. Awesome. Excellent. Well, that sounds good. That's in my plans for this winter for sure. Totally. So back to reality. We got some questions and answers coming up here, but talk more about the mechanics of your vehicle. Of course, we've got Brian here, which is very versed, and he's our high-tech dude. So we talked earlier about every car's acts and set up a little bit differently. So we've got different configurations. What I mean by that, we've got rear-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive. Oh, my gosh, lions, tigers, and bears. So how do you distinguish between all of these different configurations or drive configurations and how do they act differently, Brian? I hate to throw this one at you because it's a big subject. Uh, they definitely act differently. Rear-wheel drive is what I grew up on. Do they even make cars with just rear-wheel drive? Yep, they're still out there. It's, it's not as popular anymore, but there are still a couple of models made that way. All things being equal, it's not going to deliver as good of winter traction, snowy adverse weather traction, because the wheels, obviously, in the back of the car are what's propelling the car forward. And you don't have the weight to help get the traction to do that. So the rear of a car typically is a little lighter because the engine's in the front. Is in the front with the transmission. That's why you put the sandbags in the back of your your trunk or in the pickup. It makes a difference, but with the front-wheel drive where you got the engine and the transaxle, that's already part of the car and the weight is up there right on the tires. So most cars built today are front-wheel drive. Is it fair to say I always thought of rear wheel pushes the car and front wheel pulls the car? Absolutely. That's right on. And then you can get into all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. What is the difference? Many, many different vehicle configurations. Typically, you're going to find the four-wheel drive in your pickup or your SUV, whereas the all-wheel drive is typically going to be in a car or a CUV, which is your compact sports utility type vehicles. 
But the four-wheel drive vehicle, uh, the wheels all moving all the time. Because in all-wheel drive, it varies. It's kind of a misnomer, I always think of as like they say all-wheel drive, but there's variation and the system knows how to manage it. The advantage to the all-wheel drive, like you said, is the ability for the car to transmit the power to different wheels. It can actually move all of the power up to the front, like a front-wheel drive, or move the power to the back, and the computer is controlling that all the time. Whereas a four-wheel drive vehicle, depending on the configuration, you'll typically have one front tire and one rear tire delivering the power to the ground. If you got what's called pause traction in the rear differential, then you'll typically have three wheels driving or putting the power to the ground. Oh my gosh. With the four-wheel drive and the all-wheel drive, they're great for getting the vehicle going, but it has no bearing on how quickly or how maneuverable the vehicle is in adverse conditions. So just because we have that all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, we shouldn't get too confident slippery conditions? Your snowy conditions are going to increase the stopping distance as well as lane maneuveration, if that's really a word. You know, it's interesting you say that too because it's been said, and I've noticed it also during a snowstorm where you're traveling down the highway, most of the vehicles that are off the side in the ditch are vehicles you wouldn't expect to be there. They're usually SUVs, CUVs, or four-wheel drives. There's a lot of them because they don't slow down. I got four-wheel drive. I can go down that left lane at 65 miles an hour and no problem. They think they're bulletproof for sure. You got a lot more weight that you have to slow down, and that takes longer distances on those snowy roads. Makes sense. Just to clarify, if you have one of those SUVs or CUVs, I know it's a lot of lingo coming at you there, but if you have one and you have the choice on the dash of four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, Probably best to use the all-wheel drive during adverse winter conditions on regular roadways. Yeah, absolutely. If you may run into some snowy patches, icy patches, but the highways are pretty much clear, definitely leave it in all-wheel drive. It's going to be safer. You're going to have better traction. If it's really bad conditions and you have the feature, at that point, then put it in four-wheel drive. Okay. Well, speaking of traction, how do winter tires play into this? My personal belief is winter tires, snow tires, as people typically talk about it, I've got them on all my personal vehicles. The big advantage to them is the tread stays pliable. It doesn't get hard and slippery in the winter. They're designed to operate under 40 degrees. So it's a different rubber composition. It's a softer rubber composition. And what does siping mean? I always remember that term is connected to winter tires. And the siping is the little cuts. And the best way to think about it is each one of those cuts is a little finger grabbing into the road. And they all work independently of each other. So if one is slipping, one of the other ones will grab when you say that, that it's better traction, all that type of thing, why can't I run winter tires all year round then? Because of the compound. It's designed for the cooler temperatures. You get the summer heat, it's going to wear them out very quickly. Typically, it'll wear them out in one season. Oh, that's not good. No, they're, they are <laughs> a little bit more expensive. If you're going to go with the winter tires, put them on all four wheels. You don't want that back of the car coming around. So even in a front-wheel drive vehicle, just putting the winter tires on the front and letting the back end just hang out there is probably not a good idea. I would not recommend it at all. If you're going to put winter tires on a front-wheel drive car, I'd actually recommend putting them on the rear tires. So Brian, what I'm hearing from you is they are worth the expense. Absolutely. So if I don't have that, can I put chains on my vehicle? 
chains. What the heck is that? I don't know. Exactly. I was thinking that. I mean, they have those clip-ons for your shoes, so I assume it's the same thing for my tires. Or And then do they make tires with studs in them anymore? Yes, studded tires are available. Chains are typically not used in our neck of the woods here in central Wisconsin. When you go out west, there are certain road, certain passes up through the mountains that you're required to put chains on or they won't let you through. doesn't happen too much around here. Now, as far as studs, emergency vehicles and mail carriers are allowed to run studded tires on their vehicles. The general public is not allowed to run studs in Wisconsin. Oh. Well, darn. I know. Like, <laughs> they get all the luck. Yeah. I guess we don't also want to pay the taxes to replace all the roadways if everybody was running studs yeah, again. Yeah, chewing up. Yeah, and, absolutely. And for sure. Gosh, that goes back to the 70s when they mandated that. I remember that, too, but I shouldn't probably tell you all that. I remember my dad buying a used pair of studded snow tires, and I had to take all the studs out. Oh, my gosh. Boy, was that a miserable job. That's that's a big job. And how old were you when you did that? It was probably 13, 14. Oh, that took you all day. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, speaking of road conditions and talking about all the slippery this and that and where to drive, why does Wisconsin use salt on the roads? What does salt do? I know other states use ash and some other methods, but why salt? Well, with the temperatures that we have around here, salt in most cases works. Once you get below zero, the salt does not melt the snow or the ice. So that's why a lot of states you see the ash or the sand used primarily because the salt doesn't work. Around here, the salt works, and as the motoring public, we demand clean roads. So that's... The best way to do it is use the salt. So kind of like on our sidewalk where you throw salt out, it melts the ice? Is that how it works? That's exactly what it is. So why doesn't it refreeze again? Why doesn't the ocean freeze? (laughs) Salty. Oh, there we go. You made salt water. (laughs) Nice comeback to that one. (laughs) But there's a lot of salt used. I mean, I read a statistic that it was like 526,000 tons of salt used in the state of Wisconsin. Just in Wisconsin. Just in Wisconsin. Holy cow. Well, that would explain our rusty cars. Right. Well, thank God we don't have a lot of plastic. Metal on our vehicles, and there's a lot more plastic these days. They look better for longer, for sure. That does not negate the fact of my car getting very white during the winter when I don't go to the car wash. That's all salt. salt. So another question that came in my direction is, Is it wise to warm up my car before driving? So is that a good thing for you and your car, or is that not a good thing to do? And if so, how long do we warm it up for? Well, it's good for me. I'm warmer when I get in the car. car. If you have a remote start, right? (laughs) Yeah, especially if you have that. Yes, it's a good idea to warm up your car 10, 15 minutes. What happens is you start getting the heat coming up through the heater so that you don't jump into a cold car and all of a sudden getting frost on the inside of the windshield is it tough on your engine though or the components in your car to sit and idle for that period of time in the cold yeah 10 15 minutes isn't going to hurt it longer than that is probably a little overkill and it's not going to help at all we all have been at that party though that you go and you start your car and then yourself or your spouse gets socializing and it's a half hour later and your car is still warming up out there and you go out and you have the melted spot around the tailpipe. Yeah, if it's still there when you go out and somebody hasn't <laughs> yeah, hopped in it. Yeah, that's true too. At that point, it's not warming up. It's a warm car. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we don't want to be warming our car up in a closed garage. I don't no, need to say that, that, but thing. 
Carbon monoxide is not a good thing. Silent killer. Another question that came my way too, and these are all good questions that make a lot of sense. Is it smart to use a fuel additive in the wintertime? What's the benefit, if at all, anymore? Uh, The gasolines that we have now have a lot of detergents in them and a lot of additives. So my personal opinion is you don't need to put a fuel additive in. It's a good idea to use a de-icer. If your car sits a lot, if you do a lot of short trips where condensation could end up in the fuel tank, and you definitely want to use methanol versus ethanol, there's two different types. Isopropyl, is it? Isopropyl is the methanol alcohol, and that actually gets rid of the moisture where the ethanol disperses it. Okay, so I remember hearing back in the day and a long time ago that the fuel additives were a good thing, but you say today's fuels have a lot of that already in it. They've already got a lot of it. Well, then can I overuse ethanol and dry out? Because I always think of it, it dries out your fuel because it takes all the moisture. Is that damaging to the engine, though, if I use too much of it? Just follow the directions on the bottle. There's a specific amount. Typically, one bottle is for a full tank of fuel. Got it. And windshield washer fluid now is just about every kind of type, I guess, or brand of windshield washer fluid going to get you all through four seasons? That's a good question. I've never used the ones that are marketed as for super cold conditions or slushy conditions. So So you've always used the the washer fluid and it's got you through. And you get below zero, it doesn't work as well. So you got to be cautious of it. I'm going to have to give that special stuff a try. Yeah. I've used the special stuff on and off at different times. And I think my wife swears by the purple one. I can't remember which color it is, but it also has a little bit of the Rain-X in it so that they add it so that like as that water or misty snow and it starts to beat off your window, so it builds up. So, I mean, there is some advantages, like it's a different brand, just like anything else. That, I yeah, mean, have to you give find that a, a try. Pro- you find the product you like, because it's invaluable. When you're lazy, you don't want to scrape your windshield, that little bit of just like using windshield water <laughs> to get rid of the ice. And it's also damaging to windshield wipers, too, I remember from a prior podcast. But that's good. Like, it helps the windshield wiper industry. <laughs> it's really hard on windshield wipers yeah. to the point I've seen, and we've had several cars come in, that people turn their wipers on and something breaks <laughs> because the wipers are actually frozen to the windshield. Oh, not good. I'm embarrassed yeah. to say I'm one of those people that get lazy and don't clear enough of a spot or might not take the ice off. The- I shouldn't tell you that, but absolutely. So I know better now. Yeah. Good conversations for sure. A good windshield wash will help. But are you actually going to follow your own advice now? Uh, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> old guys and old ways, you know. Well, we're going to hit into our new segment that we had started at our last podcast called Questions from the Counter. This is bringing the most frequently asked questions that we get at our service counters right here to you on this podcast. So I've chosen one of those questions today that we're going to throw out to the panel here, and we're going to see if we can get the meth dispelled or the answer, the true answer out to everybody. The question is, is it okay to replace only two of my tires at a time? Now, I want to clarify, this is not in regards to the winter tire conversation we had in regards to two or four, but generally speaking, is it okay to replace just two? 
Brian, I know there's some technical stuff here. I bet my answer before you answer my guess is it depends because... You're close. I was going to say maybe. Because <laughs> there's now those tires that you have to have directional and there's a lot more complexity to the technology behind, tech, behind tires themselves. But now you can give the real answer. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with all-wheel drive. In most cases, no. The tires have to be within, say, two, three, four, 30 seconds of each, each other, or you will damage a very expensive component on your vehicle. If the tires are, say, six, seven, 30 seconds difference, so the front tires are like new, the rear tires are worn down and you want to replace them, I would definitely not recommend that. So when you say, I just want to get down to the nitty gritty here, when you say two, 30 seconds, two, three, four, when you were referring to 30 seconds, are you relating that to diameter of the tire? That's the amount of tread that is left on the tire. So tread depth. Depth. Not the diameter of the tire, but how much physical depth of tread that you have remaining. But what's important here is then the diameter of the tire. You don't want to put a larger diameter tire height. Yeah, if you a brand will. new tire would be significantly taller than a wore out tire on an all wheel drive, and that would damage a four or five, six thousand dollar component on your vehicle. Oh, so we definitely don't want to do that. You definitely want to replace them in four or all four at the same time and not one or two. If they were within a couple of 30 seconds, you can do one or two. Now, is that probably written in the owner's manual as well? I don't know if it's in the owner's manual. You'd want to check with your tire professional or the vehicle manufacturer. So what situation could you replace two tires? On a front wheel drive or a rear wheel drive, you can replace two tires at a time. It is highly recommended that the new tires go on the back of the car. And that's based on what I talked about earlier, the rear tires losing traction and the car spinning out. I actually had that happen to me once in an 83 Riviera. Boy, was that an exciting ride. But you know, that, <laughs> <laughs> that whole situation is very counterintuitive because you would Absolutely. think in a front wheel drive car you want to put the best tires on those tires that have the traction yep but that's exactly that's what you the think case, right the front tires are always going to go forward because they're pulling their way as you described earlier but the rear wheel tires are just following along so if the rear tires are more worn they're not going to have as good adhesion to the road you go around a little bit of a corner hit some braking that back end will come right around on you. It's like the fire truck goes around the corner and then <laughs> the back half of it keeps going around what? and they, they, they drive out into the middle of the lane like in the cartoons and then come back behind the car. The big ladder trucks yeah, with exactly. the rear steel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your description really is good, Brian. That's a good way to look at it because I think for years and years, we thought it was just the opposite like Bill had said. So you go to the rear wheel drive, you always put them on the rear, which is the way you would normally think. Front wheel drive is counterintuitive. Good question, Rob. Absolutely. What about four wheel drive? We talked about all wheel drive, front wheel drive, and rear wheel drive. What about four wheel? The transfer case, the four wheel drive mechanism in a four wheel drive is a little more forgiving. I would still follow the rule of if you got a half worn, three quarter worn tire and a brand new tire, I'd match them up to, so that all four tires are on there. Excellent information. You know, we've covered a lot today. This is a lot of facts, a lot of things. You can always go out there and look at a lot of our links that we have as well to uh, back up what we're talking about. We covered things like, well, all the nitty gritty and dirty down and low down facts about winter and the stats and everything like that. 
We also talked about shifting into the winter driving mode, a lot of that being psychological. We've got to be ready for what's coming up ahead on the road in our winter driving. We also talked about how to approach a snowplow, which is very important, and also how to prepare for winter driving. And then we took a side trip down to Powers Bluff Park in Wood County, Wisconsin, right in the center of the state of Wisconsin. Did some inner tubing and some skiing. That was awesome. And then back at it with all kinds of good questions and answers and dispelled the myth about replacing just two of my tires at a time. So right along with this next time, when we talk about reading your dashboard, what does it all mean? Where it's all about the car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. See you next time. 